Next thing you know, next day, hey, let's go to the liquor store. Next day, let's go to the liquor store. Let's go to the liquor store. Let's go to the liquor store. And that is when my drinking became a serious problem. Um, I remember one night, quite literally, making a conscious decision. I, I realized what was happening. I was becoming an alcoholic. And I made a conscious decision at that time. That's okay. Because right now, I'm going through a rough time. So I went back to the liquor store. For years. All right. Welcome to the Recovery Edge podcast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. And today, tonight, right now, I am sitting here with Eric H. Eric. Hi, I'm Eric. How's it going today? I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> All right, man. Um, why don't you give us your, uh, well, I'll give you a quick introduction here. Like, I think we might have met, I'm not sure if it was at the Friday or the Tuesday um, but I see you consistently at the Friday I know. Mm -hmm. um, that would be the New Hope meeting in Firestone, Colorado. Correct. Yep. So, um, I, I, actually, I think the first time we met was actually at three, uh, 4D. Really? 4D? Yeah, 4D. Was the first time I met you, I was with, uh, yeah. Well. It was like a weekend. That was a while ago then. It was. I bet, right? It was. Because I've almost been here five years now, so and I have not been there in a long time. <laughs> That's great. Um, why don't you, uh, well, let's see. What's your sober date again? Uh, let's see. It would be March 8th, 2021. March 8th, 2021. Or no, 2020. 2020. So right or in, tw in the midst of the pandemic. That would have been 21. My bad. Okay. Well, a, a year is a big jump here. But yes, you, it is. But you have, a, you have a backstory to your sober date, right? Yes. Um, actually, I have not had a drink since um, it's been four and a half years. Four and a half years. Yep. Mm -hmm. So um, I was smoking weed for a while. Um, mm -hmm. I was clean for a few years. And then for some reason started smoking weed. Mm -hmm. And then, so I decided to be honest and reset my sobriety date. And that would be, uh, yeah, March 8th, uh, 2021. March 8th, 2021. So coming up on two years. That's right. Yeah, you are coming up on two years yeah. then. How does that, uh, well, we can go into details a little later. Okay. Um, do you have a home group? Um, well, I Pretty much weekly, I attend three different meetings that I all consider my home groups because I've gotten to know everybody. I've been pretty committed to all three meetings, so I pretty much consider all three of them my home group. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I feel the same, you know, sometimes because mm -hmm. out there in Frederick, there's three meetings, and they're the only meetings in town, and they're all like once a week. Right. You know, so it's like, right. I don't know, they're all kind of my home group, <laughs> I guess, you know, or 
Well, the, the you, first you treat them like a home group. It seems like it seems like you just treat them like a home group. Exactly. If you go to all three of them consistently, you know. So well, well, before I had found the uh, meetings out in Fre uh, Frederick, I had uh, first started going to one on Sunday morning in Longmont down at New Beginnings. Mm. So that was probably the first one that I'd gotten back into. Oh, that's like the ten a.m. right? Uh, yeah, ten thirty. Ten thirty. Ten thirty. Yeah, good meeting. Yeah, it is a great meeting. All right. Well, why don't you go ahead and um, take us back, you know? We're going to go through what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. Okay. So the floor is all yours, and you can get started how you want. All right. Um, well, I got started pretty early, so I guess we'll start there. All right. Um, <clears throat> well, let's see. My parents were divorced when I was pretty young. I had to be about three years old, four years old, somewhere around that line. And um, about the time I was four, four and a half years old, uh, not quite in kindergarten yet, I was about ready to start kindergarten, um, my mom started dating a guy and moved in with him. And, um, you know, that we're talking early, early 80s. And so, you know, partying was a big thing, which yeah. I guess it always kind of has been. And so, um, the, the, uh, my mom's boyfriend had family that lived right across the street. His sister lived across the street. Um, they had a lot of friends in the neighborhood and our house was the biggest and most open. So we always had a lot of parties at our house. Um, so as an example, I guess, um, you know, the, everybody would meet up at our house. There'd be, you know, like 20 adults all partying and all the kids running around having fun and, uh, swiping beers. You know, we're talking five, six years old out there swiping beers. Um, we used to do keg laps at that age the nozzle of the keg in your mouth and run around the keg keg um, laps, keg laps. <laughs> and uh, so you know I started drinking pretty frequently pretty young um, for me it, it was I didn't know any better you know there was the one kid that was the oldest in the group and you know he was always kind of feeding everybody else you know hey you guys should do this hey you guys should do that um, I can remember smoking weed at that young of an age. How old were you at this point? What was oh, that like age? five. Smoking weed at five, huh? Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, I remember the parents filling up the bong so that we could clear it mm. at like five, six years old. Mm -hmm. Um, the next morning, wake up, there'd be half empty drinks everywhere. Finish those off. Before the parents would wake up, lick the coke off the mirror. Um, so yeah, I got a pretty early start. Hmm. Um, I'll say, yeah. So from there, um, gosh, uh, they broke up. You know, a few years of that, uh, they broke up. Uh, my mom was still into partying a lot, so. Uh, we were in and out of grandma and grandpa's house a few different times growing up. Um, 
those points in my life were probably the most stable as a kid. Um, that was my mom's uh, parents when I talked about my grandparents. Um, so, yeah, grandpa would take us to school in the morning, cook us dinner. My mom would kind of do her thing, you know, and then we'd all have our family dinners. So those were all pretty mellow times in my life. Um, played a lot of baseball, you know, flag football before you could tackle and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, then there were periods where my mom would get her own place and, um, there would be times like, uh, I'd have like baseball games, little league baseball games. And, uh, my parents would never show up. Um, and so a lot of times I'd ride my bike, go there on my own. Uh, sometimes, you know, it'd be like my mom would be, okay, I'll pick you up when the game's over. Well, there's a bar right across the street. So I knew where to find my mom after the game. And then uh, she'd never want to leave. And so half the time I ended up walking across Longmont to get home. You know, about the time it's getting dark because I got bored sitting at the bar. Um, you know, uh, chewing tobacco was really cool back then. You know, when you're seven, eight years old. Hmm. Um, so uh, kept on chewing I started chewing as a habit probably when I was in junior high school. Mm -hmm. Um, Copenhagen, got to have the Copenhagen back then. Uh, Pretty gross. But but anyways. um, Did you have friends that do it too? Or were you? Oh, yeah. yeah? Oh, yeah. All my friends that I hung out with, you Mm. know, we'd chew the Copenhagen. Mm. Um, Steal the parents' bears. Um, You know any alcohol around the house, you know, um, my, my, I learned pretty much at a young age to kind of raise myself. I do have a little sister. I forgot to mention she's, uh, 18 months younger than me and she was pretty much along the same lines as me minus the chewing tobacco, obviously. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, um, so I was the good kid, I guess you could say. And so my mom didn't really supervise me too much. I, I pretty much had free reigns to do whatever I wanted, whenever I wanted, uh, especially in the summer. Like, it, it wasn't uncommon for me to leave the house in the middle of the night and just go walk around town because I was just bored or whatever. Um, so, yeah, that, that just kind of continued, you know. Um, drink my mom's alcohol when they weren't looking. Um, about the time I was, uh, 12 year old, uh, my mom had started dating another guy that moved in with us who is now my stepdad. And, uh, they've been together for a long, long time now, but, um, I, shortly after he had moved in, I remember I was about 12 years old and a friend of the family, uh, one of their friends that was lived a couple blocks away. Hey, we want to go to the bar. You know, you want to babysit this little boy so we could go to the bar. Sure. Whatever. So I go over to this, this lady's house. I didn't know the lady, but I knew the friend and, um, 
so there's this little kid and he seemed pretty cool you know average little kid and uh so the two ladies leave to go to the bar and like a light switch flipped on this little kid he he just started running around the house screaming and yelling this lady had like a gazillion plants in her little tiny apartment and they had this little parakeet that was loose in the apartment that they let fly around so this little kid is just running like bananas just knocking plants over left and right like on purpose just like being a little little jerk and so he's running over and i'm chasing after him and he goes booking up the stairs so i went running after him you know trying to catch plants as he's knocking them over and uh he goes running into his room turns around to go slam the door on me just as my foot was coming in the door so the door bounces off my foot and the doorknob hits this little kid right square in the forehead like knocked him out <laughs> like kid just started crying he laid on the bed cried for like two minutes and was out and so at this point i'm like you know we didn't have cell phones back then and uh i didn't know what bar they were at to go call them they probably hadn't even gotten to the bar yet because the kids started doing this was like right after they left so whatever the kid's sleeping oh look there's a great big huge bottle of bacardi rum sitting on the counter in the kitchen so i proceeded to drink you know, about two or three inches out of that bottle in a matter of minutes. And next thing you know, I'm puking everywhere. And so that's that's just kind of the way it was for me when I was a kid growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, by the time I got in junior high, Hold I remember. This kid that was knocked out, he wasn't, like, dead or nothing. No, no, no. He he was uh, crying when he fell asleep. Mm-hmm. So why, why do you he, remember he was, this story so vividly? I don't know. It, it it was, I I think it was because of the the amount of alcohol I drank in such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when when the two ladies came home from the bar a couple hours later, you yeah. know, I'm drunkenly trying to clean up vomit, and I do uh-huh. remember it. I I didn't black out, mm-hmm. and. That and just the little kid and his actions is what mm-hmm. I think I really remember. Yeah. And uh, this so, all sounds like insanity. Oh, complete insanity. All right. You know, th- this was a learned behavior that I had. Yeah. You know, because no one ever taught me any different. So um, I do have another set of grandparents I haven't mentioned yet. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad's side of the family. Um, my real dad was a, um, alcoholic and chronic weed smoker. So he lived in the Denver area. He is a flight attendant. Um, ever since I think he started doing that the year after I was born. And so my dad had come pick us up every couple months and we'd go stay the weekend with him. And, um, he would just sit there and get drunk and stoned and um his apartments were always horrible um he had lawn chair for furniture um you know the old 
TV that barely worked with the rabbit ears and the knobs were always broken on the TV. So mm-hmm. you had to use a pair of needle nose pliers to turn it on and off mm-hmm. and adjust the volume. And uh, he always had, he always had like a pile of beer cans in the corner next to him because he wouldn't throw them away. He'd just throw them in the corner. And so he always had this pile of beer cans that were like three feet high sitting in the corner. And um, so I also spent a lot of time with his parents, my other set of grandparents. And they were um, pretty cool. My uh, grandfather was a uh, retired pilot. Um, he was a uh, he was in World War II, Korean Air, uh, in Korea. Um, very very distinguished pilot, very distinguished pilot. And um, so at a young age, I had started learning how to fly, which was really cool. Um, they would set me on phone books and pillows and. They'd take the plane off, and then they'd hand me the controls of the airplane and let me fly. Um, as I started learning what I was doing, um, they would control the rudders, and they would control the throttle on the airplane and get rolling down the runway, and I would take the airplane off. And um, so as I got older um, and my feet could touch the rudders, they started giving me flying lessons. So I got to learn how to fly when I was a young kid. That was really, really cool. Um, But anyways, getting back to my dad. um, When I was in fifth grade, uh, my dad was arguing with my mom for a couple years. He wanted um, me and my sister to come live with him. And so he had bought this uh, old house. Uh, this old old couple had owned it before him, and um, so me and my sister went to go live with him. And this was uh, the summer in between fourth and fifth grade. So didn't know anybody. This was in uh, the Federal Heights area, Westminster Federal Heights, and uh, so there was a couple kids next door that became decent friends with they had trampoline um my dad was working as a flight attendant and so he was gone like three four days a week and so me and my sister we would go stay with this lady up the street would take care of us and uh my dad continued his old habits uh drinking getting stoned um I lived off buttered noodles, pretty much. Me and my sister lived off buttered noodles. Our clothes sucked. Got teased a lot at school. Um, He did sign me up for taekwondo, and that was really cool. So um, in order to get to taekwondo, though, it was quite quite a bike ride for a little kid that age. It was a good five, seven miles one way. And uh, so I'd go do my taekwondo, and then uh, so school started that year. And uh, come to find out, the school that I had moved from was way more advanced than the school I moved into. 
And so, and they didn't have sixth grade. They just went to fifth grade. So next thing you know, I'm the smartest kid in the school. <laughs> I had these ratty tatty clothes and I got teased a lot. And it was pretty rough. Hmm. It was pretty rough. And uh, the best times I had was staying with a lady up the street. Um, to top things off, the house that my dad had bought uh, was extremely haunted. Now, this ain't necessarily the uh, podcast for that, so I'll just uh, go over the greater details. But somebody was murdered in that house. Mm-hmm. And weird shit would happen. Weird, weird shit would happen in that house. Like uh, my dad had bought me this little train, little train set, and uh, the train would always turn itself on. Like, say you um, set your keys um, on your nightstand or whatever. Mm-hmm. Go to bed next morning. You couldn't find your keys because they weren't there. Just weird stuff like that would happen. Oh, um, so yeah, when I lived with my dad, um, I decided I was going to play the trombone. And so he had rented me this little trombone, and I had a lawn chair to practice in. And I had my little music holder thing, and a um, nothing else in my bedroom but my bed which was an inflatable pool mattress. Mm-hmm. You know, every couple nights I'd have to blow into it and fill the thing up oh. before I could go to bed. Like with your own lungs. Yeah, with my own lungs. Yeah. Well, that'll get you tired. Yeah, yeah. Make you appreciate a bed, too. I bet. And it was a basement, so it was hard floors, no carpet. And so anyways, so... It came up to about Christmas time, and um, my dad had this old sled that um, he had had from when he was a kid, and it was one of those ones that had the the red runners down the two sides, and then the little wood board that you steer with. Mm-hmm. And so it taken some can- a candle and waxed it down real good, and the school that we had went to had this really steep sledding hill. And so uh took the sled down there, and boy, that sled was just hauling down the hill. I was just going twice as fast as everybody else. So the bully in the school, oh, yeah, and keep in mind, this whole time living with my dad, you know, swiping his alcohol and mm-hmm. drinking his weed, or drinking, smoking his weed. Mm-hmm. Um, so this bully decided he was going to take my sled and he punched me or he threw a snowball in my face and then punched me and so i and then him and his two brothers took off running right after that they didn't even take my sled and some adult had witnessed the whole thing and gave me a ride home and i don't even remember this but the guys said after they had punched me and started running i tried to catch him like I was going to take out my vengeance on this kid. Mm-hmm. And apparently I couldn't catch him. But uh, so I was starting to get some issues growing up. Um, so, yeah, af- after that whole incident, 
um, me and my sister begged my mom to take us back. And so she did, reluctantly. I think she was really enjoying not having us around. Mm. Um, so anyways, uh, I bounced around a lot in elementary school, went to a bunch of different schools. I did uh, half of fourth grade, half of fifth grade, and half of sixth grade at one school because I had been moving around so much. Um, let's see. When uh finally got to junior high, um, took shop class. That was really cool. I remember making weed pipes out of two by fours um you know so getting up into high school junior high was just kind of eh it was okay um things weren't too bad um my mom's new boyfriend that she had moved in with um he he was a partier my mom was still partying um me and my sister were still doing our thing you were still drinking. Were you sneaking, having to sneak more, or was it uh, just easier to get at this point? It was pretty much easier to get. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did you have to drink behind your mom's back, or was it oh, just yeah. like, oh, you did oh, okay? Yeah. It's not like we sit down with my mom and have a beer with her. Yeah, uh, it wasn't like that. It was, it was sneaking it. Okay. And by then, it, it wasn't even sneaking the the beer. It was sneaking the alcohol. Because I knew that beer, you had to drink a lot more beer. Mm -hmm. And to be honest, beer is not necessarily my favorite thing. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. So in junior high, you know, I was still taking flying lessons when I was with my uh, grandparents over there. Um, still spending a lot of time with my other grandparents, too. Um, so, yeah, getting into high school... Uh, my sophomore year, I was pretty chill. We ended up moving up into Lions. Um, and I actually had a lot of fun. I had a great time in high school. Um, I My sophomore year and my junior year, I had a really good girlfriend. Um, so at the end of my junior year, like right before school gets out, um, remember a while back I was talking about when we were little kids and, uh, my mom's boyfriend had family that lived across the street from us. Mm -hmm. Well, they had two little boys that were about around my age. One was a couple years older than me. One was a year younger than me. And, uh, the younger one, he, he was a crazy one. He, he was one that never went to school, um, all that kind of stuff. Well, he ended up committing suicide. Hmm. And this was shortly after my high school sweetheart had broken up with me. And I kind of went off the rails. Um, that summer in between junior and senior year, um, I went and spent a month in California with my mom's sister and my aunt. Um, just beach bombing it for a month. I, I was having some pretty bad, pretty bad time. Um, we had just moved back to Longmont when all that had happened. And, um, my grandfather had given me a, uh, old Impala 
for a car in high school. And so I was driving back and forth to school. Um, so yeah, so my scene, my junior year, I pretty much ditched. I, I ditched more classes than I went to smoked a lot of weed, uh, senior year, same thing. I went to even less classes mm -hmm. and, um, did you graduate? Oh yeah. I graduated. Okay. No problem. Yeah. I was, um, schoolwork wasn't, was pretty easy. I would do the bare minimum mm -hmm. and I knew it. Um, so my senior year really was hard. Um, but you know, I had my group of friends. We smoked a lot of weed, drank a lot on the weekends when we could find someone to buy us alcohol. You know, back then getting the Mickey's and all the stupid stuff and um, you know, your typical high school kid. Yeah. You know, not much different, but my friend killing himself really I struggled a lot with that. Hmm. Really struggled with that. And so my senior year, I decided I wanted to join the service, you know, kind of follow after my other grandfather. Mm -hmm. um, since I knew how to fly airplanes, you know, I wanted to be a pilot. And um, I had talked to my grandfather about, you know, being a pilot in the service. And all he told me is they won't take you as a pilot. Never gave me a reason why. Just told me they would never take me as a pilot. So he never explained to me why that, that kind of bewildered me. So I decided to uh, join the Navy and I went and uh, took the ASVAB test. And I scored really high on the ASVAB test despite not doing anything in high school. <laughs> and uh, so they gave me my choice of what I wanted to do. So I was like, all right, well, I want to work on an aircraft carrier, right? And so, um, graduated high school, had a, you know, typical high school party at my house. Um, everyone told me I had the coolest graduating party ever. Mm -hmm. Um, had a great time. And then I went to go leave for the service at the end of the summer in August. And, um... I was really, really nervous about leaving. So I didn't sleep the night before I left. And then they pick you up and they take you down to this hotel in Denver. Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't sleep that night. Um, so then uh, next day we go to leave to go to uh, Great Lakes uh, Boot Camp. Or Great Lakes um, Naval Base, which is up by Chicago. And plane broke down. And so we were like a day behind. I didn't sleep that day. So we finally get there. We get to the base and the sun's just coming up. I'd been up for a few days. I had a really rough fucking summer. Um, so they go in. They shave your head. They They give you you know, paperwork to do. And by this point, I am just out of it. Just like completely stone cold tired, like ready to fall over, literally ready to fall over. And they're doing the typical military thing and they're yelling at you, you know, just like you'd see in the movies and whatnot. And so 
they take about a hundred of us and they stuff us in this little tiny room and we're all shoulder to shoulder and we're all cramped in there and they're like all right this is the moment of truth um if you have any kind of legal problems if you have any um problems with drugs if you have any any kind of thing that you haven't told us you need to tell us now now's moment of truth and i was so tired i was not thinking straight and i was the first one to speak up and i said yeah I, i've done hallucinogenic drugs within the year and so all right come with us you know and so uh basically you know i thought i was gonna get to go home Mm -hmm. oh no they keep you there for like a month (laughs) well it depends i guess on the on the process but you know if you have any kind of medical conditions they can't send you home until your medical condition is um fixed um if you have any legal issues you know so anyways so they took a small group of us out of there and they put us in um, what they called the separations division. So I ended up getting pretty much locked up for a month. And uh, so I finally get to come home. And uh, by then my mom had married her boyfriend who's now my stepdad. And I get home and it's like Friday and he tells me, if you don't have a job by Monday, you're going to work with my friend doing construction okay so when i left to go to the navy i i told my parents to sell my impala um so all i had was this little old uh, suzuki motorcycle to get around on and uh yeah i had this little suzuki motorcycle in high school it was pretty cool and uh so i show up for work monday morning and uh guys are like one of the guys was uh one of my stepdad's party buddies so i knew him fairly well i had watched the two of them get pretty rowdy on several occasions and um show up 7 a.m all right before we get you to work let's get high so they get me stoned off my ass and of course i hadn't smoked any weed for a while because i just got home from the service and uh so they get me really stoned and put me on a a, like two foot wide micro lamb that we use for scaffolding up in the air and so yeah so i ended up working construction for a couple years and uh just smoking weed all day long um i had another job i worked at a restaurant part-time because i wasn't making much doing construction um so anyways that kind of cycle continued through my early parts of my um late teens early 20s um i eventually left construction went working in a warehouse um so while i was working in the warehouse um i'd bought myself this little crotch rocket and uh of course back then you know uh uh, it was real popular to cruise Main Street, right? Mm-hmm. And so there was this day I, I got off work and it was
was uh, Saturday. We we worked overnight Friday night. Got off early Saturday morning. I was working third shift, and I couldn't sleep, so I decided to go ride my motorcycle around. And I probably put like three or four hundred miles on that motorcycle that day, just driving from Fort Collins to Colorado Springs and back and just back and forth to Denver a couple times. I mean, I was just all over the place up in the mountains. And by then it was getting dark. I'm like, oh, I'll go cruise Maine for a while. So uh, I'm cruising up and down Main Street, you know, and I'm like, all right, one more pass and I'm going to go home. Um, so... Next thing you know, the, this girl's pulling up next to me in this Mustang, and she's just smiling at me, like, hey, why don't you pull over? And so, uh, so yeah, she ended up becoming my first wife. Um, uh, let's see. From there, we... Uh, Moved in together, and we were living in a little trailer that her mom owned. Did she have a... How was your drinking at this point? Was it a major problem? Like, did she notice? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was I was in my early 20s. I had a best friend mm-hmm. that was also my sister's um, uh, boyfriend. And me and him to this day were actually both really good friends, and we're both in sobriety. But um, work, we'd go to work at the restaurant, get off work, get drunk. Um, actually, by then, I was drinking a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't necessarily a weak drinker, but more of a weekend drinker. Okay. Because that's when I'd work in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, we'd drink. We'd, you know, occasionally do some acid or mushrooms. You and your friend? Yeah. And then... After you got married, did mm-hmm. how did that, you know, carry over? Well, actually, I, I kind of slowed down a lot because I, I I had some other friends that I would party with, too, a lot mm-hmm. on the weekends. And for the couple years that me and her were married, um, we really worked hard on buying a house. And so by the time I was 24 years old, uh, we bought a house. Um, I was super proud of it. You know, I, I was still smoking weed. Um, actually I smoked a lot of weed around that time. Uh, I had switched jobs again. Uh, the boss that I had, me and him would just smoke all day long. Um, occasionally hang out, drink. Um, honestly, I I wasn't after me and her got married, I wasn't drinking as much. Hmm. Um, there, there were times when like her dad, uh, little Jose, little tiny Jose, he, mm-hmm. he was a partier. So sometimes we'd go out to the bar with him and, and yeah. get pretty drunk. But then there, there was times when I'd be sitting at home and just bored and really have nothing to do. And my ex-wife would be like, why don't you go get yourself a six pack? And so, you know, all right, whatever. So I go get a six pack. But, uh, I, I really wasn't drinking as much. When did and oh, go yeah, I, I, I'm getting there. All right, all right, I'm getting there. And so, um, anyways, our relationship kind of fell apart. We um, had a daughter. Uh, we 
we found out we were pregnant about a year after we had bought our house and we were not planning on having a kid uh we had two brand new cars a brand new uh ninja all of our furniture in our house was all brand everything we owned was all brand new and we're making payments on everything and after a while my ex-wife says um yeah i want to be a stay-at-home mom i said that's cool i completely support that but we can't afford it and so next thing you know we're getting divorced and i was completely devastated i was hurt bad i i was super egotistical and superficial and proud to buy a house at the age of 24. i drove a brand new car um i had this gorgeous motorcycle that was brand new and this house that i was couldn't be more proud of my and my daughter love of my life and i was completely devastated so i ended up getting this little apartment in back in longmont and uh the front half of this place it was a house then on the back of it had two two apartments and i had the upstairs apartment and uh started smoking a lot of weed and drinking drinking a little bit starting hanging out with my party friends again um by then i had uh one of my party friends he uh was really starting to get wrapped up into meth and so he'd give me some on occasion and uh that never really became a habit for me but unless i was with him and uh one day I ran out of weed and um, I'm like, fuck, what do I do now? Nobody I knew had weed, could not find any weed. It was not legal back then. And so I'm like, wait a minute, there's a liquor store right up the alley. I just go out the fence, walk up the alley, there's a liquor store. All right, so I get to the liquor store. I don't even know what to fucking buy. I don't even remember what I bought. Got home, went drunk. Next thing you know, next day, hey, let's go to the liquor store. Next day, let's go to the liquor store. Let's go to the liquor store. Let's go to the liquor store. And that is when my drinking became a serious problem. Um... I remember one night, quite literally, making a conscious decision. I, I realized what was happening. I was becoming an alcoholic. And I made a conscious decision at that time. That's okay. Because right now, I'm going through a rough time. So I went back to the liquor store. For years years every day go to the liquor store you know um ended up losing that apartment um i bounced around a little bit um so well actually i guess i should say before i lost that apartment um i was experimenting with the alcohol 
to see how much I could drink. Um, find out what my tolerances were. Okay, on the weekend, I figured it out. I can drink X amount because I don't have to work tomorrow. On the weeknight, I can only drink this amount because I know I have to be able to go to work in the morning because if I drink any more than that, I'm going to be too hungover. So that's where I started finding out, you know, how, how I could get away with it and how to be social about it. And so I ended up getting a DWAI um, while I had that little apartment. Um, they suspended my driver's license for three months. And while... I had um, uh, my license suspended. I got pulled over again. This was a, um, gosh, I don't even remember what year it was. But, oh, it was uh, 2003 I got the DWAI. And it was the end of 2003, so my license got suspended. So it would have been Valentine's Day on 2004. Um, I joined a bowling league because, um, I was bored. I want, I wanted to meet people. I wanted to have something to do. So I just sat at home and get drunk. And, um, so this particular night I had this girl that I knew from high school coming to meet me and me and her were Starting to, you know, kind of click a little bit. And I uh, told her, yeah, why don't you come meet me down at the bowling alley and um, whatnot. And so she did. By the time she got to the bowling alley, I was just shit-faced drunk. I had drank more that night than what I typically do. And it got so bad, I'm at the bowling alley, and I'm up by where you get your ball out of the little thing. I drop a beer, break the glass on the floor. You know, they had to have somebody come and mop it up. My uh, teammates were yelling at me. The girl left. Um, so at this point, I'm like, fuck it, I'm leaving. So I decided to leave just right in the middle of the game. Uh, so drunk. Um, I left one of my bowling balls there. Because I had uh, two different bowling balls that I had. And uh, I, I'm i pretty sure that they called the cops on me. And by then I had lost that little apartment and I just moved to Boulder. And so I'm, and it was snowing that night too. Um, so I leave the bowling alley and I'm going to drive to Boulder. And... Uh, as i could tell i was driving pretty good but apparently the cop that pulled out behind me about a block away from the bowling alley that was probably sitting there waiting on me hmm. uh they followed me all the way to the edge of town waited till i was about to cross the edge of town before they decided to pull me over so i got dui and uh lost my license for i think they took it for a year Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when I started bicycling back in 2004. Um, so, anyways, uh, backtrack a little bit. Um, 
there was someone else from high school that I was kind of talking to. Um, uh, so we're, we're talking, I graduated in 94. So 2004 was coming up on my 10 year high school reunion. And so I'm looking around online, you know, a few months ahead of time, trying to figure out if I could find out when our high school reunion is. And I ran into a girl that I went to high school with. And uh, me and her had never dated in high school, but we were always friends. And so next thing you know, me and her are dating. And um, I was still drinking a lot. Um, she had been out of a relationship for a couple of years. By now I had been divorced for a couple of years and, uh, we ended up moving in together and I just continued to keep drinking every day. And, um, she would get mad at me and yell at me. Um, it didn't matter. Just keep drinking um, so me and her ended up eventually getting married. And, uh, so this is how, like, my bachelor party went. Um, uh, my best friend that my sister had been dating for a while, um, decided to throw me a bachelor party. So he lived around the corner from a bar. So we decided, to. Uh, park over at his house and walk over to the bar so we did and um he he was very antagonistic he he was he liked to get me in trouble and so we're sitting there at the bar drinking and and uh hey Eric, grab that grab that girl's butt no dude don't. yeah come on dude go, go grab her butt and uh he always called me admiral because after i'd gotten kicked out of the navy I'd earned the nickname Admiral. Admiral, go grab her ass. Finally, after, you know, enough of this, go grab this girl's ass. Next thing you know, her husband's wanting to fight me. Go figure. I, I didn't know she was married. I didn't know who this girl was. So we leave, you know, before a fight breaks out because it was pretty close to that. We get over to his house and we decide to, Time for shots. So we're doing shots and uh, smoking bowls. And I go to stand up from the couch. And uh, about, or about, I did. I fell straight on my face, broke my nose. And this is a week before our wedding. So I split open the bridge of my nose and got two black eyes. I got married with two black eyes. So, as you can see, my wife-to-be was pretty upset. Um, I don't remember a day the whole time that me and her were together for 13 years that I wasn't drunk. Eventually, she obviously had enough of it. Um, so, yeah, so this pattern continued for a long time. Um, I eventually ended up buying a car bought a pickup truck and drove that around illegally for a year or two. Um, and I went to a car, drove that around illegally for a while till I got pulled over. 
And then it's like, oh, shit, I need to get this breathalyzer thing that they keep talking about before I go to court. Mm-hmm. So, and what year is this that you get the breathalyzer thing? Uh, 2015, 2016. So we're getting close to your first AA meeting? Correct. Sounds like it. Okay. Um, actually, there's a backstory. I'll go back to that in a minute. Um, so... So anyways, so yeah, I go and get the breathalyzer, had the car for like a year, being a drunk, of course, you know, I couldn't leave to work half the morning because the alcohol was on my breath, ended up losing the car, got another ticket, a couple more tickets, like speeding ticket, whatnot. Um, So going back to my dad, um, shortly when I was in sixth grade, after me and my sister had moved out, my dad decided... He's going to get sober. So my dad goes to uh, a 30-day rehab. Uh, The last week of it is family counseling week. And so his parents, my grandparents, and me and my sister go down for a week of counseling. So my dad got sober. And so after this point, um, that was actually the first time that I did the 12 steps was at the age of 12 um, during this family counseling. And obviously it didn't work for me throughout my teenage years. Um, so every time my dad would pick us up to go visit with him after he sobers up, um, it was very, very common for us to go to AA meetings with him as a teenager growing up. Um, he had moved in with a guy who was a, um, professional kickboxer, um, started teaching martial arts. My dad did, you know, taught me some martial arts. Um, so yeah, started doing a lot of AA actually meetings with my dad as a kid because, you know, he, he's trying to make his amends and right his wrongs and trying to be a father. And so fast forward back up to where I was, lost my license again. Um, I was living with a girl at this point up in Berthoud who was 10 years younger than me. And uh, she had had enough of my drinking as well. And um, it was uh, over Christmas break. Like in between Christmas and New Year's, I did a lot, a lot of drinking. And uh, by then, I'm, of course, I'm back onto a bicycle, bike, bike and work. And this was 2016 into 2017. And so New Year's happens. It's like January 3rd or 4th or whatever, mm-hmm. the first Monday after New Year's is. And roads were all icy. Uh, snowy um, so I decide I am way too hungover to try to ride my bicycle on this stuff so I'm going to walk to work it was exactly two mile walk to work and I get uh, halfway I'd walk from Berthoud to Campion and I get to the edge of town in Berthoud and by this point I'm on final notice at work missing work um i had been approached once at work um somebody says you smell like alcohol 
Oh no, no. Like I um I was drinking last night. Like, but I didn't stop drinking till like, you know, four in the morning, so that's why I still smell like gum. <laughs> but that wasn't true. I'd been drinking. Um so anyways, so finally I I gave up. I quite literally gave up on the edge of birthed. And um Picked up my phone, called in to work, and they said, okay. So I walked back home, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to explain this one to my girlfriend. And so I sent her a text message, and I said, hey, we got to talk when you get home. And she comes home from work, and she's like, I already knew what happened, you know, before. Um, You got to move out. So it's winter, it's January, I have no place to go, no family will take me. Um, so I get a hold of my dad, who by this time had been sober for, oh gosh, probably around 30 years by this point, <laughs> get a hold of my dad. I had talked her into letting me stay for the rest of the month because I had already paid my half of the bills and because I was actually responsible enough to pay my half of the bills, she let me stay and I had nowhere to go. And so my dad's trying to help me find a rehab, had no job, no money, um, no home. Um, so ended up in the Salvation Army. And so this was the end of January 2017. And um, so that was a lifesaver. Um, just this weekend, I went to the store, and it's the holiday season right now, so the bell ringer was out front of the grocery store. And every time I can, I go up and I put, some cash in their bucket and I tell the person ringing the bell the Salvation Army saved my life thank you and um, so Salvation Army was definitely a life changer for me I had finally found my higher power I had a um, burning bush moment while I was in there that was the most phenomenal moment of my life that changed my life quite literally um, it's a six month program and while you're in there you got to find a sponsor and you got to work the uh, first seven steps before you complete and uh, this being the second time I had done the 12 steps um, and having experience in AA as a teenager with my dad, um, I was struggling on my fourth step doing it the first time as an adult after having a wreck in my life. And I had been working on it for like a month, and my sponsor was... Like, dude, you have to have it done by such and such date or else you got to find somebody else. 
And so it, I, it was a Sunday, and most most of the people that could leave the Salvation Army, because we were allowed to leave um, when we had free time, were gone. And I decided I was going to stay and work on my fourth step. And uh, we just had chapel. So we went to church, and I'm all dressed up in my button-up and my tie and everything. And so I go walking into the canteen, and I get all my stuff set out and realized I had forgotten something in my room. So I went back to my room, and as I'm walking back in, t- in through the canteen, I just kind of said to myself, God, are you with me right now? And instantly, he said yes. That's all he said. Yes. And I just got the chills again. But (laughs) I had never, ever experienced anything like that in my life. It it was quite literally life-changing for me. And I sat down to write out my fourth step, and it flowed out of me like no problem. And so that was my first experience doing my fourth step as an adult where actually having something to go back on my life and be honest about because I know when I did it as a 12-year-old, I wasn't completely honest about it. I didn't have that behavior back then. So here I am getting out of uh, Salvation Army after being in there six months. Um while I was in there, me and my dad decided to do family counseling. And unfortunately, quite honestly, it brought us apart. Hmm. Um, can't explain what happened. I don't know why. Maybe it was for the best for both of us. Uh, we haven't spoken for a few years. Um, but anyways, so I get out of the Salvation Army. I really have no place to go. Uh, my sister says that I can live with her for, for a while while I figure it out. So my sister's got a nice place, great husband, beautiful kids. I'm living with them. And uh, I'm working. Um, I ended up, uh, I was working security. And I had a pretty rough job as a security guard. And I relapsed. I had been sober for nine months and I relapsed. And uh, so the meanwhile, I'm living with my sister, hiding it. Here I am back to hiding my alcohol. And then finally she approaches me one night and she's like, hey, um, your nephew approached me the other night. Keep in mind, my nephew's about 20 years old this time. And says he ran into you in the kitchen last night and said you smelled like alcohol. Um, think it's time you, m- you move out. And so, you know, I told her, yeah, I've been drinking. Uh, it's been going on for about four or five months now. And so while I was in um, Salvation Army, one of my roommates um, was a... Um, uh, recovery coach for advocates for recovery and me and him had became pretty good friends 
Um, he had got me, me before I had worked security. It, he had helped me get a job working with him at a warehouse, um, which was really cool. Um, he's still a good friend of mine. So he said, well, why don't you move into Oxford House? And really having nowhere else to live, I did. And um, that was the last day I drank. That was, um, that was I know it was uh, May 6th. I don't remember what year it was. Like I said earlier, I'm horrible with years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it would have been uh, 2018. May 2018. So that was the last time I drank. Um, so I was in Oxford House for a couple years. Uh, actually, about a year and a, year and a half, maybe. Something like that. Maybe not even a year. But anyways, that was a really decent experience. I got, um, got to move into a brand new house that was just opening. I was the third person to move into it. So I had the chance to see what it took to get a house up and running and so a few few months later down the road um they had a new house that they wanted to open that was like block away so they asked me to be the one to open the house so i got to open that house that was that was really cool that was a great learning experience for me um by then i started dating someone and uh decided that it was time for me to move out of oxford house so I moved out of Oxford House, moved in with this girl. And um, while I was in Oxford House, I had a pretty cool uh, sponsor I was working with. Me and him went through the 12 steps. Um, I had found another sponsor to work with that was up in this area when I moved out. So I had a new sponsor to work with. Moved in with my girlfriend. Things are going pretty good. Um, next thing you know doing really good i don't need to see my sponsor anymore so i quit going to aa meetings you know quit working with the sponsor doing pretty good for a while and next thing you know i mean and my girlfriend was in recovery as well she stopped going to meetings when you did we both did yeah okay we both kind of decided eh, mm-hmm. we're doing all right and so next thing you know we're smoking weed and this went on for a couple years. Um, but yeah, about a year we were smoking weed. Um, and the pandemic hit. So we're smoking weed. We're doing the pandemic. Um, she's working from home. I'm actually not. Uh, I was lucky to not get stuck at home. Um, then we had a falling out. And so, um, I moved in back into Oxford house. Um, let's see, that would have been, uh, April, the day before Easter of 2021. So coming up on two years. Um, so about a month before I moved into Oxford house, I had quit smoking weed. And so that was my sobriety date, March 8th. So, um, since then, I'm still living in Oxford House. I'm still sober. I'm still, um, 
supporting everybody that I can in sobriety. Mm -hmm. Um, I've found that, um, it's true about what they say. Um, similar to being a sponsor when, when you work with other people that helps you in your sobriety. And even though in Oxford house, we're not, you know, necessarily, uh, sponsoring each other or anything like that. Um, just being a support for somebody else and having people there to support me has just been really cool. Hmm. It's been really, really cool. Um, that's really been the key to my success lately. Um, and I've learned that AA has really been key because when I moved back into Oxford house, I started attending meetings again. And, um, so I've been back to doing meetings for almost two years, um, over a year and a half, almost two years. Um, and just listening to the people at the meetings and when I got something to say and you know occasionally after a meeting somebody will come up to you I really like what you had to say thank you that helped me um that is just the best feeling in the world you know knowing that I can be a support to somebody so um that's that's really where I'm getting my strength is through Oxford House and through AA, um, I've been working with sponsor again. Uh, when I first started getting back into AA, I knew right away to find a sponsor. Nobody had to tell me to do it. It was something that I did for myself. Mm-hmm. And um, first sponsor I found, uh, it just it didn't work out. So the next sponsor I found, it's been awesome. I got wonderful sponsor now um so i i feel like i'm getting to the point to where i'm gonna be leaving oxford maybe soon and i know that the key to my success moving forward is going to be through AA. so very good that's kind of where i'm at right now um that's what my hope is you know um I, I've really, especially in the last year and a half, if there's a reason I have to miss a meeting, mm-hmm. I'm kind of sad. Like, it, it's kind of like missing a night going out with your buddies. Mm-hmm. used to be. It's like, oh, man, I didn't get to go out drinking with my buddies because mm-hmm. I had to work. Well, no, this is the complete opposite. I'm, I missed a night at AA because, you know, something came up and I, had other responsibilities which is cool because now i can be responsible yeah well nice um question okay if you you know you're not the only guy who's had a rough childhood obviously right obviously but your childhood has sounds like it was pretty rough and um if you had advice though like what I'm getting at is, do you have advice for, or some hope for anybody that's had a rough childhood and is having trouble staying sober, or you know, what like through your experience, what, what kind of wisdom did you get from it, from having a rough childhood, to even not even just the childhood, but like the rough marriage, you know, and losing your family, 
it's like almost like you didn't like you had a tough family then yours was taken away mm -hmm. and then you um found an escape with alcohol mm -hmm. and it was just for years mm -hmm. you know somebody who's almost done that path what do you think i like the old saying when it comes to this one regret in the, is in the past fear is in the future live in the present um and also face your past it, it it makes it very difficult to move forward if you don't face face your path past um i think that that has the fourth step has a lot of value the fourth and fifth step has a lot of value with face, facing your past and getting rid of your regrets um you know there for years i regretted you know making that that uh, judgment in the Navy, send me home, lying about stuff because so, I was just too tired. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my life could have been completely different. But at the other hand, I, I look at this, I'm like, maybe God did that for me for a reason. God didn't want me in the Navy. Mm -hmm. Maybe I might have been killed. Maybe I might have been injured. Maybe I might have injured somebody else. Um, maybe, you, maybe you would still be drunk. Maybe I would still be drunk. Exactly. So, so God has a reason for it. And, and looking back, that's what I would have to say to people is face your past and move on with it. Leave it in the past. Don't, don't hold these regrets. Um, cause I think that that had a lot to do with why I drank a lot was all these regrets that I had from the past, you know, um, and don't make yourself a victim. Um, I, I think that a lot of my mentality when I was younger was, uh, I was put in this situation. This is how I'm going to deal with it. And not deal with it in a positive light, but I dealt with it in a negative light. Um, also, as far as hope goes, I hope that I can be a positive influence on somebody. You know, e even if I don't ever hear about it later, you know, maybe I cross paths with someone and they take a small piece of something from me that that changes their behavior is you be good for likely me. Likely already are but you just don't know. Yeah. It's none of our business, right? That's right. God will tell us. All right, brother. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you for having me, Alfredo. Thank you, Eric, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope with the Recovery Edge podcast. And thank you, listeners, for checking us out. You can find more of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, you know, wherever you like to check out your podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.